If you have your Bibles this morning, open to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Or you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app uh, under events. Uh, you, Cornerstone will be right there and, and everything's on there. And uh, as you're getting to Galatians chapter 5, we are quickly approaching the end of this letter. Uh, we started going through this book uh, right after Easter, and we've been going through uh, chapter by chapter. And we find ourselves this morning in chapter 5, and Paul is starting to wind down his message. He's starting to uh, get to the closing and, and telling them, here are, here are the things that you really need to know after all the things that he's been talking to them about throughout this letter. And in this letter, we see Paul dealing with an issue that is of great importance. These uh, people from the, the area of Galatia, these different churches uh, that he's writing to, you know, Cody brought it up a couple of weeks ago. They were, you know, they were in, their, or in the faith, they were on fire, and they, they were asking questions, and they, were wanting, and they started to be led astray. They started to be led astray by these Jewish believers who came in and said, no, it's not just faith. It's also you have to follow the law. You have to do what the law of Moses says, and you have to be circumcised. And these people are starting to fall into this. They're starting to fall back from uh, the, the grace that they've received, and they're starting to go towards the law and, and this slavery that they were in before, a different type of slavery before these people were slaves to these false idols, these false religions that they believed in, and now they're going to become slaves to the law. And that's what we talked a little bit about in Galatians 4, how they were slaves to heirs. They were co-heirs with Christ and his suffering and in the, the reward that they would receive because of what they've done, the decision they've made to put their faith in Jesus Christ. But so quickly after that, we see them moving from heirs to slaves. Again, they were moving out of uh, slavery into grace, back into slavery. And, and it's such a, a big situation for Paul. He even makes a comment, I'm starting to feel like I've wasted my efforts on you. Everything he's been saying, everything he's been preaching to them, he feels like his efforts have been wasted. He goes so far as to say, you know, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me if I had need, and now we're enemies. We're enemies because I speak the truth to you. We talked a little bit about how, you know, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to, to hear what we have to say because it goes against the life that they want to lead. And we had this example to end chapter 4. These Two women, one uh, represented this Mosaic law, Hagar, and, and she represents the, the old Jerusalem, which was slave to Rome, and yet we have Sarah who represents this new covenant, this covenant that is a future Jerusalem, a future heaven, a future heavenly reward. And Paul goes on to finish that up by saying, hey, we are part of the free woman, not of the slave woman. And that's where he's going to continue his thoughts this morning. And in chapter 5, he gives us a reminder of where freedom is found. He gives us the answer to how we live in that freedom, and he does it with some hard truth. And chapter 5 is a hard text, and there are some hard things to talk about. But this morning, Galatians 5 has things that we need to know, that we need to think about, that we need to apply to our lives. And so this is where we're going to start 
uh, this morning in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start in the first three verses. And uh, it starts like this. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. And so we start out here by seeing he's continuing his thoughts that he started with in chapter 4. You see, it's not in the law that freedom is found, but rather it is found in Jesus Christ. And so he's encouraging them, hey, stand strong and and stand firm in what you've heard and what you believe and do not let yourselves become burdened by this yoke of slavery. Don't put this yoke of the law on you because this law will not save you. All it will do is beat you down because all it does is show you the need that you have for a Savior. All it does is point out your flaws. And you see, Paul, referring to the law as a yoke, it's very similar to how Peter himself describes the law in Acts 15.10 when he says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. And so Paul goes on to explain to the Gentile believers that if you are circumcised, then one, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He becomes of no value because you are moving out of the freedom that you had received, that he gives you the freedom that comes with Jesus Christ. That doesn't matter anymore. If you're choosing to go to the law, if you're going and you're going to choose this lifestyle, here's the problem. It has, Christ has no necessary meaning in your life. There's no point for him, no value. And then he says, again, I declare every man that lets himself be circumcised, he is obligated to obey the whole law. If you are to be circumcised, here's the problem. Now you have to follow all of the law. You can't just pick and choose which part of the law you follow because if you decide to get circumcised, it's going to be the next thing that you have to do and the next thing that you have to do. It's never going to end. There's always going to be that list of things that you have to continue to do. And so Paul is telling him, hey, get circumcised. And guess what? You have to follow all of the law. You don't get to pick and choose. You see problem is we kind of struggle with this ourselves today we try to cherry pick the scriptures to make them fit what we want them to say or or what we want them to do in our lives and so we take little bits and pieces of scripture and form it into this this is how i want to live and we can't do that we can't take little bits of scripture and say this is what i'm going to do no we live by the whole scripture we live by what it says in its context, and all of it, not just in bits and pieces. And so he continues on in verse 4. He says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So he goes on to say a couple of things here that are, are 
big ideas. The first thing he says is, you've been alienated from Christ. This carries the idea of being isolated or estranged from Christ. To pursue the law would cause a gap between them and Christ. They've alienated themselves by following the law. And then he makes the comment, you have fallen away from grace. Now, there's some controversy on this passage. There's a lot of people with a lot of different views. Is this a reference to saying that you will lose your salvation? Is this an issue of not losing your salvation? What does this mean? Well, I don't think this is necessarily a reference to losing your salvation. What I think it means is they are moving from a system of grace to a Mosaic law, which is based on works, a system of trying to earn their faith. These Jewish believers who believed, I can believe in Jesus Christ, but I also have to follow works. I have to follow the law. They are moving out of a system of grace and into a system of salvation by works, by merit, by things that you do. And I think the reason that Paul is mentioning this is because I think Paul thinks this is foolish. Why live by law? Why live by this thing that enslaves you? Why lose grace? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to lose grace. It doesn't make any sense to follow works that, you know, it makes Christ what he did obsolete because you still believe that that's not enough. And I think Paul mentions this because he thinks this is foolish and hey, Guys, this is the problem with this line of thinking. And then he goes on to say that through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. The word translated here for eagerly await, it's used seven times in the New Testament, and each and every time it's used to talk about the return of Christ. They're waiting by faith eagerly for him to return because in his return, our faith will be complete. Our hope will be realized. We wait for that thing that is to come, Jesus coming again. And in that moment, our faith is rewarded. Our hope is realized. Romans 8, 18 through 25 talks about this. And it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Something similar said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And so we wait eagerly with anticipation the return of Christ, knowing in that moment our faith is rewarded, our hope is fully realized. And that's what Paul is saying here. We wait by faith for the righteousness in which we hope. And he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
It's not the circumcision that matters. It's not uncircumcision that matters. What really matters is faith that expresses itself in love, love for God, love for others. And I think this is very important because I think it clarifies something that is very important. We hear this age-old debate that's not really a debate at all. It doesn't really need to be, but some people debate it. You know, is it by faith alone that you are saved? Is it by faith and works that you are saved? This, you know, Paul-James debate, and it's not really even a debate. You see, I think the truth is this. It is by faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And when we are saved, that, man, or that faith manifests itself in a way that we love God and we love others. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we love our Heavenly Father, we love Jesus, we love the Holy Spirit, we love others. Our faith manifests itself through love. And when we love God and we love others, we want to serve God and we want to serve others. You see, serving, it's not an issue of works to earn. When we, say, or when we serve people, it's not an issue of, I'm going to serve you but I want this in return. I want this in return. I want you to praise me for this. I want people to notice this. It's not anything like that. You see, we are told that our faith should produce good works. Paul himself says this, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. James chapter 2, 14 through 18. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. If you love God, if you love others, it should manifest itself in the things you do for others. And it's nothing about what you get in return. It's nothing about what it does for you. No, it's all about you love God, you love others, you serve because you love. It should produce love in, in action and faith and deed. That's what it matters. It's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's about faith manifesting itself and love. That's what Paul tells him here. Then he continues on in verse 7 through 12, and he says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that, or in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So Paul begins here with this metaphor as a race. He is known for using this type of metaphor. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26, 2 Timothy 4, 7 are examples of this, of how we persevere in the Christian faith. And this idea of a race makes sense because the people he's writing to, Gentile believers, would actually understand what a race is. They would understand these you know, athletic events, the Olympics, these type of things. They would understand fully what this means. 
And I like how Warren Wiersbe talks about this. He says a contestant in the Greek games had to be a citizen before he could compete. You have to be a citizen before you can compete. And so for these believers, now that they have become believers, they are to run this race. They are to run this race for God. They are to stay in you know, this, this race following Jesus. And here's the problem. They were running the race well, and someone cut them off. We know who this is. These Jewish believers, these Judaizers, have come in and cut them off. And you see, if you've ever watched a race, if you've ever been to a track meet, you know that there are lanes that people are to stay in when they are running. Sometimes people get tripped up and fall out of their lane, or sometimes they try to get in the other lane and are disqualified. Here's the problem. These people have cut in front of these Gentiles, and now they're starting to turn away from them. And Paul reminds them, hey, it's not Christ who's causing this. Christ isn't throwing himself in front of you and tripping you up. No, you are being led astray by these people who are trying to bring you to the law. And so he switches metaphors, and he talks about this idea of yeast and dough. A little bit of yeast can cause dough to rise. And it's a really good metaphor here because it may have started small with these uh, Jewish believers spreading the law to some of these Gentile believers, but a little bit can go a long way. And one little bit of, hey, you should be doing this, you should be doing this, can start to cause a breakdown to the whole system. It could destroy the whole system over time. And Paul reminds them, hey, someday they're going to have to pay the penalty, penalty for this. I don't think you're going to change your mind. I don't, I don't think you're going to end up falling to this. But those who are trying to lead you astray, they are going to have to pay the penalty. And then Paul switches gears. And apparently people are accusing him of preaching circumcision. It doesn't make any sense. I mean... Paul's been pretty adamant that you don't need to be circumcised, and yet people are going around saying, hey, Paul's saying you still have to be circumcised. I think of it like, you know, when somebody is upset with you and they want to get, or they want to spread stuff about you, but they don't really have anything to spread against you, and so they spread these things that just don't make any sense. This is what's happening with Paul. And Paul says, hey, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? I'm preaching your message. I'm preaching the things that you want me to preach. Why am I being persecuted if that's the case? No, it doesn't make any sense. It becomes, or the offense of the cross has been abolished if that is the case. What I'm doing is pretty dumb if I'm telling people that you don't need to be circumcised, but I'm also telling people you need to be circumcised. It doesn't make any sense. And so Paul finishes this little section by saying, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Wow, Paul does not mince words here. Just finish. Go the whole way. Castrate yourself. Just be done. Go the distance with this. Don't just circumcise, but go the, the whole way with this. Pretty strong words there from Paul. But I, I want to circle back to verse uh, 1 of chapter 5 because I think this first little section right here revolves around this first verse, and I think it's what permeates through these first 12 verses. And the idea is this, the point of Paul's beginning here is freedom is found in Christ alone. Freedom is found in Christ alone. 
You see, for these Gentiles, over the past several weeks, we have seen the message is clear. Don't look for freedom in the law because it is found only in Jesus Christ. The law cannot save you. It is not the most important. Following Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that can save you. And here's the thing this morning. If we reflected on our own lives, if we reflect on ourselves, if we look at our own lives, the truth is this. We ourselves try to find freedom in other things as well. They're not things that are necessarily bad, but when we begin to put our faith in these things, to find freedom in these things, well, we lose track of the fact that Jesus is the only thing that can save us. He's the only freedom that we can find. But what are these things that we try to put our faith in to find freedom in? Well, maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's our financial status in which we try to put our faith. You know, if I can just make enough money, I will be free. I will be happy. Everything will come to me. I will be great if I have enough money. And we spend our whole lives in pursuit of the almighty dollar. Because if we have enough, if our kids are taken care of forever, if our families are taken care of forever, then we don't have to worry about anything. And you know, it's not wrong to want to have good financial situation. It's not wrong to want to save aside for the future. It's not wrong to do these things. But if we are placing our faith in these things to find freedom, we're always going to be chasing after it, and it's never going to bring us fulfillment. Maybe it's our political views. Maybe we place our faith in our politics that if I vote for this person or this person or these people, then I'm never going to have to worry about anything because they've got my back. And it's good to vote and it's good to pray for our leaders. But if we put our faith in our politics, we're only going to end up disappointed because we can't find freedom there. Maybe it's our relationships, right? Maybe we put our faith in the people who are around us and that is our chance for freedom. Our, we put our faith in our spouses and our husbands, our wives, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our, our best friends, and those are the people in whom we will find freedom. As long as we have these people in our lives, we will always be free. We will have what we really need. And it's not wrong to have friendships and it's not wrong to love your spouse, but if you're looking to them for freedom in your life, you will be disappointed because freedom is not found in your relationships. No, freedom is found only in Jesus Christ because what he has done for us, him going to the cross, him dying for us, that is where our freedom is found. It is found in who he is and what he has done for us, his love for us. Romans 8, 1 and 2 tells us, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We find freedom not in the law, not in sin, not in death. No, freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That is the only place our freedom is found. And if you are here this morning and you are trying to find freedom in things that will end up disappointing, stop and think for a little bit about what Jesus has done and you will begin to see where true freedom really lies. Freedom is found in Jesus Christ alone. Paul continues his message in verse 13. In verses 13 through 15, he says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, 
for the entire law is fully or is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other you see we have freedom and yet some people were using this freedom they had to do what they want and indulge in the flesh and paul is telling these gentile believers no the freedom you have in jesus christ does not permit you to go and do whatever you want paul's telling them no don't do this instead he tells them what they should be doing is use your freedom to serve others humbly and love we talked about this just a moment ago everything hangs on these two commands and what are these two commands to love god and to love your neighbor as yourself everything hangs from these things to love god and to love others mark 12 30 through 31 tells us that another good reminder comes in romans 12 10 be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves no our freedom should be used to love others to serve others to love our neighbors as ourselves to serve those people who are around us we should delight in serving people in this community people all around us who need uh, to see the love of christ it's our obligation to serve one another and love one another and i think there's a reason paul is sharing this and it's because he says if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other these false teachers have come in and they've created strife between them or between the people who were fully devoted to the faith and those who were starting to sway those who were starting to uh, move into the law and paul warns them hey if you're not careful you are going to destroy each other you're biting at each other you're devouring each other and guess what if you're not careful you will be destroyed by each other you see i'll be honest this is why it bothers me so much to see the church so divided with so much strife all over the world we spend so much time fighting each other rather than working together can you imagine what the world would look like if the church acted like the church and stopped fighting with one another it'd be pretty amazing what would happen and you see, I think the thing is this, if it's, a, if it's an issue of churches being divided over things that are salvation issues, then we need to talk about those things and be on the same accord with those things because those are things that Scripture tells us are important. But if we are fighting over things that do not matter, that are not salvation issue, and we're wasting time fighting over things that do not matter, shame on us. Shame on us. We should be unified together as a body of believers in this world, sharing the gospel, loving on people, taking care of those who are in need. That should be our job. First Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Be careful so you do not devour each other, or you will be destroyed by each other. Then he continues in verses 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
And so in verse 16, Paul gives us the answer that we need to live the life we are supposed to live. If you want to live in freedom, in Christ, here's what you have to do. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. If we don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh, we need the Holy Spirit in our life. But here is the thing. I think Donald Campbell sums it up well when he says this. But the Spirit does not operate automatically in a believer's heart. He waits to be dependent on. He waits to be depended on. Are you relying on the Holy Spirit? Are you depending on the Holy Spirit? Or do you believe, hey, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to let him do whatever and I'm just along for the ride. No, he wants to be depended on. He wants to be wanted. He wants to be needed. We need to lean on the Spirit. And here's why. Because we have two natures. We have two natures within us. We have a sinful nature that we inherited from Adam, but we also have a nature that we inherited when we became believers. And here's the thing. One of those natures, it desires evil. It desires evil in our lives. The other desires righteousness. And these two natures are at war in us. They're at war in us. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been in that position where you're like, man, I really, really, really want to do this thing, but I know that if I do this thing, it's wrong, but man, I really want to go and, and, and do this thing. And so we are just at war in ourselves trying to figure out which one should we do, the righteous thing or the thing that will lead us into sin. There's these natures at war in us. Paul understood this in Romans seven twenty-two through 23. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. You see, this is why the Holy Spirit is so important. If we are turning to him, he helps us fight the battle to help us try to do the right thing and live the right way. We need that help in the Holy Spirit. And so now Paul, in verses 19 through 21 Paul's going to go on a little bit of a, okay, here's what happens. Here's a, a mark. Here's what it looks like if you are living by one nature compared to living by another nature. And he will compare those things in the rest of this chapter. And so he starts here with the acts of the flesh. If you are living by the flesh, this is what it looks like. And so here's what he says in verses 19 through 21. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is what the flesh looks like. And we're not going to go through all of these in detail, but we're going to cover some of them. He starts with sexual immorality. The word here for sexual immorality is pornea, and it's often translated to mean fornication. It's where we get the word pornography. Then he mentions impurity. It's the idea of moral and cleanliness. Debauchery, it's the public display of sexual immorality, of impurity. Idolatry, the worship of false idols, false gods, anything really that keeps us away from God. Anything that distracts us away from where our focus should be. We can turn anything into an idol. Witchcraft, 
This is kind of interesting. I didn't realize this until I was looking at it this week. The Greek word for witchcraft is pharmakia. And this is the word in which we get the word pharmacy. And the reason for this, in ancient times, during the worship of evil spirits, they would take drugs to cause a trance. And so witchcraft is, from the word witchcraft, we get our word pharmacy because of the use of drugs. Then he mentions things like hatred, discord, which stems from hatred, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and faction. And the sad truth is, how often do we see these things all around us? They are all around us. These different things are in our view, in our line of sight all the time. Think about this. Pornography is such a, it's a hidden thing in the church, but it's such a prominent thing all around us. It's been reported that pornography in the last several years has made more than the NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB combined. It's a $12 billion industry every year in the United States. It's all around us. Idolatry is all around us. We put so much stock and faith and things around us. And here's the thing, while it may be common to see these things all around us, it's even common to see these things in the church. You see, it's not uncommon to find things like jealousy in the church. It's not uncommon to find things like hatred in the church. It's not uncommon to find things like dissension in the church. It's not uncommon to see, thing like, or see things like factions in the church. It's not uncommon to see these things around us. And so why did Paul tell us this? Well, I think Paul tells us this to give us a very important warning. He says, I warn you as I did before that if you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know, this is a hard verse, and I've, I've looked over it backwards, forwards, all over the place, every single commentary I can find just reading about this. And here's the thing. I don't think Paul is saying, here's the deal, you're going to lose your salvation if you fall into one of these. I don't think Paul is saying that. But what I think he is saying is there's a difference between an act of sin and a habit of sin. If you are living by these things, unrepentant, unremorseful, if you are continuing to live your life, living by these things, these desires of the flesh, over time, if that's all you do is you live by these things, if you live by them, nobody can tell that you have these good fruits in you. If these are all that people see in you, then here's the, here's the warning. You may not have Jesus in your life. And that's a hard thing to think about, and it's a truth that we have to, to test ourselves when we have to look at this. Do we have Jesus in our life? Do we see the fruits of the Spirit, which we're getting ready to talk about? Do we see these things in our life? Because if all you see in your life are these things of the flesh, then the truth is you may not have Christ in you. But here's the good news. There's still time. As long as we breathe, there's an opportunity to repent, to turn away, and to live the way we're supposed to. And so what does that look like? If these are the signs of the flesh, then what does the sign of the Spirit look like? And this is what he says in verses 22 through 26. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And so Paul goes on to state the reverse is found of these things when we look at the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to go through these uh, just a little bit. The first thing he says is love. Love. A sign of the Spirit in your life is the way you love, the way you love God, the way you love others. And we've talked about this already, just how important this command is to love God and to love others. So we move on to the word joy. Joy, and it's this inner rejoicing promise to us by Jesus Christ. If we have joy in our life, it becomes evident. If we have joy within us, it becomes evident in how we live. John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The next word he mentions is the word peace. It's another gift of Christ. It's an inner feeling of rest or tranquility, even in the midst of difficult times when you're going through a tough situation and and all you feel inside is peace, even in the midst of what it is you are going through. This is a fruit of the Spirit. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word forbearance, this is the idea of patience, and in a lot of translations, it's translated in in the scripture as patience. It's this idea of patience and endurance, that when you are in the midst of a difficult situation, when you are in the midst of a battle in your life, you are patient and you are enduring. You are not quick to walk away. You are not quick to give up. You are not quick to throw your hands up and say, God, why? But you are patient and you endure. Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Kindness, kindness. A great way that I've heard this word described is benevolence and action. Christ has shown you kindness, now you show others kindness. Because of what Christ has done for you, you go out and you show people the same kindness that you have received. Proverbs eleven seventeen. those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Goodness, reaching out and doing good for others, serving others. Faithfulness, one who is trustworthy or reliable. If you've been given a task, if you've been given something to do and you prove trustworthy and reliable, that is a fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4.2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Gentleness, it's this idea of being considerate of others. Titus 3.2, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentile or gentle towards everyone. Self-control. Self-control, it's this idea of self-mastery. Be careful not to put yourself in positions where you may fall short. It's being somebody who masters yourself, masters your, your mind, those things that are keeping you from, or that are causing you to do the wrong thing. You fight against those things. Proverbs 25, 28 tells us this. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. You see, Christ has died for us and those who belong to him who have received the holy spirit we are to produce in our lives good fruit so by so what this is saying what paul is saying you should not look like these verses 19 through 21 no rather you should look like somebody if you believe who shows the fruit of the spirit by the way you live the things that you do you should be relying on the spirit and if you do 
it brings about these fruits. And so he continues in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified with the flesh, its passions and desires. If we belong to Christ Jesus, we have been crucified with him. Our passions, our desires, the things of this world, we put on the cross with him. Those things should be gone. We should have put those things, those desires, those earthly desires, we put those to the cross. And here's the thing, we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God, but in those moments we need to rely, we need to lean on the Holy Spirit. In those moments of temptation, we need to desire the Holy Spirit. And Paul wraps up this section where I want us to focus this morning. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And here's what Paul is saying in this last little part of chapter 5. We need to live by the Spirit. We need to live by the Spirit. And you know, I really don't have to say a lot. I think you know by now my thoughts on the Holy Spirit. If I've never made them clear, I'm sorry. Um, I'm a big fan of the Holy Spirit, but I'll, I'll just say this. I think the Holy Spirit's awesome. I think the Holy Spirit is awesome. And, and here's the thing, actually, when I was working on this this week, I, I texted Kay and I go, hey, I know what you say about God the Father being awesome and that's the only one we're supposed to say is awesome. Do you believe that just God the Father is awesome or is it the whole Trinity? And she goes, the whole Trinity applies. So I can use the word awesome this morning. He is awesome. Think about all the things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. He leads us, guides us, directs us, intercedes for us. And yet, as we pointed out earlier, we have to depend on him. We have to ask him for guidance. We have to lean on him. And the problem is we don't really think of the Holy Spirit very often. We don't. It's just a, a sad state of facts. It's this, the sad truth. We don't often really think about the Holy Spirit. We think about Christ. We think about God the Father. But we don't often think about the Spirit. And here's a couple of reasons why I think we need to lean on and rely on the Holy Spirit. The first reason is this. He helps us think of things that are holy the Holy Spirit helps us think of things that are holy. One of the things that Kay's mom, Heather, has uh, said in the past that I agree with is garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. The things that you put in your mind are the things that come out in your life. And if you put things in your mind that are garbage, what's going to come out? Garbage. And the way you live, garbage. What you put in your mind is important. And the Holy Spirit helps us think of things that are holy. Romans 8, verses 5 through 6. Those who are living according to their flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Are we leaning on the Holy Spirit, asking Him to help us think of things that are holy? If we fill our mind with things that are holy, then what comes out is life it's peace and i tell people this all the time the things you watch the things you listen to the things you look at are those holy and are you thinking on things that are not holy if you're not and if you're thinking the things that are going to corrupt your mind that's what's going to happen when it comes out of your life the second thing he does i think is he helps us in our weakness 
in our weaknesses, when we are struggling, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to say, when we don't know where to turn, He is there helping us in our weakness. Man, we are sinful human beings with the capacity in us to stumble all the time. But the Holy Spirit, if we lean on Him, helps us in those areas where we are weak. Romans 8, 26 through 27 tells us this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Man, we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf. He helps us in our weakness when we don't know what to say, when we don't know what to do, when we lean on Him, He intercedes on our behalf. He, he goes to the Father on our behalf and He guides us in the direction that we need to go. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives and we need to let Him in. We have to depend on Him. We can't just say, okay, Holy Spirit, come fill me and then you do everything. No, It's just like everything else. We need to rely on Him. We need to depend on Him. And so at this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I just got two questions as they come up. First one is this. Where are you turning for your freedom? Where are you turning for your freedom? Where are you putting your faith? Is it in finances? Is it in politics? Is it in your relationships? What is it that you are putting your faith in, searching for some kind of freedom, some kind of hope? Because if you're putting your hope and your faith in things like this that that are other than Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to end up searching again and again and again and again and again because the things that we put our faith in will just continue to let us down. We need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. It is the only place where we can find freedom. The second question I would ask you this this morning is this. What nature are you letting win in your life? What nature are you letting win in your life? Is it the acts of the flesh that are winning, are your li- are winning in your life? Are you living a life of these things habitually? Are you, have you gotten to the point where now you don't even feel guilt, you don't feel remorse, you don't think about these things, you just do them? And if that's the case this morning, I pray that you would think about where are you putting, what are you doing, this is winning in you, what are you doing to change that? Where are you putting your life? And so maybe you're here this morning and you're putting your freedoms in things that are only going to lead you astray, you're putting your faith in things that are only going to leave you searching again. Maybe if that's the case this morning, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only place where we find freedom. And, and He has done so much for us. He went to the cross for us, died for us, rose again so that we could be forgiven. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've given your life to Him, but lately you have been letting the flesh win. And maybe this morning you need to... to drop that at the feet of God and maybe you need to say hey father I've been screwing up and what I need to do is I need to rely on the spirit I need to lean on the spirit maybe this morning you need to spend time praying to the spirit hey spirit guide me lead me help me to do what I need to do and so this morning if you have a decision to make if you need to if you've never given your life to Christ and you'd like to you can fill it out on the connect card you can come talk with me I'd love to talk with you Or maybe this morning you just need to spend some time in prayer 
reconnecting with the Spirit, laying these things at His feet and trying to live a life led by the Spirit. If you have a decision to make this morning, please do as we stand and we sing.